This morning we're continuing this series uh, called Faith Life in Hebrews chapter 11. And um, we're, we're going to talk about three guys this morning, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Um, and so it's only three verses, shouldn't take us long. Um, and uh, I want to thank just for a minute, the title of the message is Faith in the Future. And uh, there's, an, there's a verse uh, in the Old Testament uh, that says, without vision, the people perish. Y'all heard that verse? And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about vision in your life and our life and, and how God plays into that and faith plays into it in the future. There have been some people that have not had great vision about the future. And so I want to share just a couple of those stories to kind of get us started. This is the guy, Lee DeForest. He was the inventor of the, the television, the technology behind the television. This is what he said about it. While theoretically and technically television may be feasible commercially and financially, it is an impossibility. Did he get that right? I'm looking at one back there. <laughs> All right? He, he, he did not have the right uh, vision around. They really got the future wrong. And then there was this guy, Thomas Watson. He was chairman and CEO of IBM. Uh, and uh, this is what he said. I think there's a world market for maybe five, maybe five computers <laughs> we could sell to the world. And so hindsight is what we call 2020. Y'all heard that saying? Like there's two computers back there. There's one in the foyer. All of you have an iPhone. Some of you have an Android. We'll get you to the real world soon. Um, but in your iPhone, you have more technology than NASA used to land a space shuttle on the moon. Right? In your pocket. And uh, so these people did not... Uh, get the vision right. And then there was this, I thought it was interesting, um, a picture I found, you just Google people with bad vision, and this is something that comes up. It was a picture of this newspaper stand, and at the bottom of it says, it's how you connect. All right, I asked this question in the first service, how many of you this week read a physical newspaper, like black and white read a physical newspaper? Let's see, hands up. One, two, three, Four. I think we're going to have to stop at four. Okay. And so this is, a, this is research for Jeff Vanderbeck and the News Express. We'll take it to him afterwards. I'm just kidding. This is not... How many of you say, oh, I connect through newspapers with my friends and family and community? Like, they miss that vision altogether. It is not how we connect currently as people, and this is not a throw at newspapers, uh, but it is the reality that in this room, four of you read one this week. Um, so, but what I really want to talk about is Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph who got it right. That's going to be the most helpful in our life, right? Let's look at some people who got their vision for the future right. And so as we talk about this, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, you got to understand just a little bit of who these people are. So just hang with me like a split second while I bore you. Y'all still there? Should I put it in a newspaper? <laughs> Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise that, uh, that God was going to bless Abraham through his seed, Isaac to become the father of many nations and bless the world. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob ends up getting his name changed to Israel. So when you hear nation of Israel, children of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, 
Jacob is Israel. I know that's confusing. Um, but Jacob is Israel. He had those 12 sons. Uh, Genesis 29 through 50, second from the top. All those 12 guys were his sons. One of those sons is Joseph, which we're going to talk about today. So we're talking about Papa Isaac. All right. Daddy Jacob and the son Joseph. This is a family line, okay? Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Does that make sense? Clear as mud? Perfect. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, faith in the future. Here's where I want you to start. It's, it's pretty much impossible to separate faith from vision. Like, it's impossible to think about your, your faith in Jesus Christ and faith in God uh, and, and to separate that from when you believe that, it really impacts how you think about the future and your vision for the future. And so we're going to see that this morning and, and because seeing the future and having a vision is really important in life. All right? it's, it's important if you start a company. It's important as a Christian uh, what you believe about tomorrow and the future. So this morning, we're going to look at three guys who did it pretty well, and uh, we're going to see what we can learn from them. Let's look at the first verse. Hebrews 11, verse 20. It says, It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. This is a really messed up story. I'm not going to go through it all. If you want to go to Genesis 27 and read through it, you can. I'm just going to give you the highlights as best I can. Um, so Isaac uh, is going to bless the future. It almost, that, another translation says he reached into the future. Like he believed so much. He wanted to impact it so much through his kids. Uh, he was reaching into it at his, in his older age. His two sons were Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins, but one was born first. All right, Esau was the older one. In, in, uh, in the culture at the time, the oldest son was the birthright, got the blessing, passed on. That was the culture at the time. But God moved, and he wanted Jacob. Jacob was the son of promise. He wanted Jacob to get, um, get the birthright and get the blessing. Isaac didn't like that. He wanted to give it to Esau. Esau was his favorite. I mean, y'all got favorite kids. They're sitting in here. <laughs> you shouldn't have a favorite kid. <laughs> Which day are you asking? I got that. Today it's this one. Uh, so Isaac's favorite son was Esau, and he wanted to bless Esau. And, and he, even though he knew that God wanted him to bless Jacob, and that's who he wanted to use, uh, he, he did his best, and he showed favor to Esau continually over and over. And even up to the time he was getting ready to die, he was blind, and he could barely see, uh, he thought he was going to like pray over his sons and give them a blessing into the future, and they tricked him. They made him think that it was Esau because he couldn't see, and it was actually Jacob. And so, he, 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 so even, even as Isaac was trying to take control of his own circumstances, okay, even as he was trying to put down God's sovereignty and take control of the world, God was still working out his plan and purpose. And so he thought he was blessing Esau, but he was actually blessing Jacob. And he gave Jacob this blessing. And he ends up realizing that they tricked him. And he doesn't say, well, let me go back and change it. He realizes the power of God's control. And why would I ever, why would you ever try to challenge God's sovereignty? 
And so even in all of his mess, what we have here is what I want to say is just a repentant faith. That he looked back and he realized, I mean, I really messed up. I tried to do that myself. Have you been there? Have you been there in your marriage, in your friendships, in your work, in your life, where you've tried to figure it out yourself, where you tried so hard to solve all the problems, you tried to fix somebody, and you realize you can't fix people, you can't change people's hearts, and then God shows you, hey, like, I love people like you cannot imagine. You can't fix them, just point them to me, just point them to me. Just point them to me. You just be a light. You love. You share the truth. Do good things and point them to me. And so for Isaac, he had this moment where he realized he had done the wrong thing. Uh, and yet he was looking at people that he really didn't think Jacob was, should be the favorite, but he was. And, and so there's this story about a guy named Albert McMakin. And he was, uh, it was a young guy, like 24 years old. He got saved, got excited about Jesus. And he, he decided he was going to start trying to gather up all these young guys that were in high school and take them to this, this church services. And I think it was a revival maybe that was going on. And um, so he's trying to get all these guys. But there's one guy he can never get to go because he loves chasing girls. So he won't go to church. And so the guy finally is like, you know what? I think I'll let you drive my truck if you'll come with us. So he lets this guy drive his truck to church. And he gets there. And God just begins to work in his heart and open his eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. And he comes back, back night after night until he gives his life to Christ. And that young man's name was Billy Graham. And see, this guy just was, do, was looking into the future and believing God's called everybody. And I just got to share the truth with anybody and everybody, even the guy that, that won't even listen to me because he's so focused on the wrong things. And, and God calls us to come into people that are in that situation. We got to believe that every person has the potential of that in the power of Jesus. I don't care if they're an addict, a prostitute. I don't care what they are. There's power in Jesus' name to flip the world and our constructs upside down. And so this is what Isaac had, this truth of the promise into the future. I messed up. I'm sorry. He had that heart to be repentant and accept what God had called for him. What it required and what it requires for you is you know, after repentance... What Isaac did not do on his deathbed was wring his hands and just focus on how he messed up. Okay. He did not dwell in the past. He didn't just say, man, I really messed it up. I made that mistake. God can't use me now. Or like whatever it is that comes to your mind that, that whatever you're thinking, you messed up or you're unworthy, you're not good enough. Or, 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 or I can't believe that happened to me. That was so unfair. I got cheated. I got like they, they talked about me. Whatever that thing is, like if you want to be with Jesus into the future, you can't be dwelling on the past you got to move on from those broken, messy things because everybody around you has got broken, messy things. Like we just got to walk into the future with faith without dwelling on the past. I think Isaac would say just reach into the future, man. Go for it. Go into the future. Forget your past. Trust Jesus and go forward. It was by faith that Jacob, next verse, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. This I would call a worshiping faith. And you can find this story in Genesis 48. 
other than that, uh, that he only has his blessing because God worked it out and he didn't deserve it. Jacob didn't, right? He wasn't the, the oldest son. But yet God had blessed him anyway. And here he was late in life and dying, going to his grandsons, pouring into them, into the future, believing in them, Joseph's sons. And I just thought, he's at that age where he is just leaning on his staff. Like it's the thing that's holding him up. He's getting ready to die. And it says, in that state where we might be, like, I can't believe I have to have a staff to lean on. He was worshiping. Man, isn't that powerful and beautiful? Like, from wherever I'm going to be, I'm just going to worship. Whatever my circumstances are, wherever I am, I'm going to worship it. Beautiful thing is, if you go back and read this story, he's giving something away. He doesn't even own yet the promised land. He's giving them this land. He's blessing them, saying, I'm going to give you something I didn't even get. But God has promised it to our family. I know you're going to get it. Like, it's going to come. I don't own it. God owns it. He's promised we're going to get it. I'm going to pass this blessing on through you. And he was just worshiping while he was doing it all. Then we find Joseph. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. I think I preached about 15 sermons on Joseph a couple years, three, four years ago. Um, so you're going to get, there's a lot to his story. If you remember Joseph, he thought he had this vision, this dream that he was going to be the favorite son, and he kind of was the favorite son. All the other brothers got jealous. Remember they beat him up, threw him into a pit, pretty good day. Left him there. He ends up getting sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. He ends up in prison. I mean, just a great life, you know? It sounds just peachy. But God works in Joseph's life, and this is like super cliff notes. And, uh, and he ends up gaining favor with Pharaoh's people and ends up like a political leader in Egypt, like number two, basically, to Pharaoh. And he's an Israelite. His dad, meanwhile, is back in, 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 in the promised land, in Canaan's land, like distraught because Joseph's gone. He's dead. God took away everything. He's like, everything. He's like, oh, poor old me. Right? Y'all seen Dumb and Dumber? Or y'all Christian? Too Christian to watch Dumb and Dumber? Or, I'm not going to admit I watched it in here. But you've probably seen the scene where they come home and it's like uh, all our, uh, uh, we've lost our jobs, we've got no money, our pets' heads are falling off. You know, somebody broke in and cut the head off the bird. Like, that's pretty dumb. But anyway, that's where Jacob was in his life. He's like, man, everything's bad. Joseph's gone. He's dead. Like, God's plan's falling apart. And he's just like in this deep depression. He's like, I just, I just wish I'd die. Like, that's literally what he says. I preached that sermon on that passage on a Sunday morning. We were across the street. Because we were having church at Jenny Wiley Theater. And it caught on fire. Because they were trying some kind of pyrotechnics for the show they were doing. Caught on fire on a Saturday night. We couldn't have church on Sunday night. And uh, the Methodist Church let us use the power building over here the next Sunday to have church. I remember thinking... I mean, we don't, where are we going to have church? How are we going to do this? And we're over there. And that was the passage I was on, and I was preaching that that Sunday morning. And we thought, we thought 
man, our plans are just all messed up. But the scripture right after that, after Jacob says, I just need to die. It says, but meanwhile. But meanwhile, God is in Egypt working out a plan for Jacob's salvation. Actually, he's working out a plan for the salvation of mankind if we want to get deep into it. And you see, the famine comes on Jacob's family. He sends some sons down to Egypt to get some food or grain or whatever they need. Guess who the guy is they run into in Egypt to get the stuff? It's their brother. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. God works out this great family reunion. They all end up in Egypt eventually, okay? That's the story of Joseph. That's where God also says one of my favorite verses, the enemy meant it for evil. Let me tell you, there's things in your life that the enemy means for evil. He'll try to destroy you. But God can use it for good when you walk forward into the future by faith. So Joseph, this is a dying faith for him. As he's dying, he's so confident. They're in Egypt. The whole family's there. He says, don't put my bones in the ground here in this place. God's going to take us to the promised land. I want to go with you when you go. Worked out to be about 400 years. But this is what one commentary I found said about Joseph's faith testified for years after his death. All during that time when a child of Israel saw Joseph's coffin and asked, why was it there and not buried? They could be answered because the great man Joseph did not want to be buried in Egypt. But in the promised land, God will one day lead us to. Like his life left a testimony. They walked by and said, oh, he truly believed on the promises of God. The commonality between these three people and why I did them all together is because they're all dying. They're all at their deathbed. They're at that moment when they get ready to close their eyes. At that moment we close our eyes in death, something happens. It, it, it becomes real. You can no longer mimic faith. Can you hold on for me? Can you listen to just for a minute? Like you can no longer deceive yourself and pretend things are what they aren't. Like you can no longer say, well, I go to church and I do the things out of obligation. And like when you close your eyes, all that fades away and the reality and the honest truth of your heart becomes known. That's the moment these three were at. They were getting ready to die, and they were reaching into the future, believing in the next generation, believing that God's promises were going to be true. And they had this real faith that they, could, they did not have to walk through the valley of death in fear. They could be confident because their faith was genuine. At death's door, maybe we tend to replay our past and our entire life you heard the same my life flashed before my eyes like you start to think of all the decisions you made all the things you've done and uh and, and this uh, this is a little bit morbid so what i did is i found a few i found a few epitaphs right when you're getting ready to die like uh you think about what would i say what i want my legacy to be and so we talked about some good ones i just want to share some bad ones so you'll smile a little bit uh, this was william hahn His family chose that. Maybe he chose, I don't know. But it says, I told you I was sick. Uh, this one said, I raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom. 
and still there was love. Uh, I think this one's at the front of the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Dear, it's not a real one. Dear departed brother Dave, he chased a bear into a cave. And uh, this one, you, you had that, that mamaw in your life or the mom that just worked all day long. And like when you felt like doing nothing, they were still cooking or they were washing the dishes. Like they had the discipline that we, most of us don't have. And then when they finally did sit down at night, what would they say? My feet are killing me. This was a testament to one of those ladies that says she always said her feet were killing her, but no one believed her. <laughs> What I want to leave you with just for a minute as we think about three things to take away from these three people, the commonalities about faith in the future. One is I want you to tell you God has a plan for the future. From the foundation of the world, he's the alpha, he's the omega. There's, the, there's nobody, there's no leader, there's no crisis, there's no political party, there's no empire, there's no anything, anywhere, anybody going to take control of God's sovereignty and change the course of history. This is God's story. He's writing it. Okay? He has a plan for the future. The second thing is I, I believe he reveals it to his children. I believe, I believe in little instances once you've given your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, he begins to speak to you and work through you to be a part of his story. His story of how he loves Mankind, how he shares Jesus in real and relevant ways. How if Jesus is going to be real and powerful, it's only going to be through the church. <laughs> if people are going to experience Jesus in Bible, it's only going to be through believers sharing truth with them, loving them, doing good deeds. It said when Jesus went around, he shared truth and did good things. That's, that was his ministry. Shared truth, did good things. If this place is going to experience that, it's going to be through you and me. So he's invited us and he reveals us. Even if it's as simple as walk across the street and talk to the guy at the blessing box. Even if it is as big as plant a church. Whatever level, even if it's called to be a, a teacher or, or write cards for Faith Life Market. or what, like He invites us into this story and you just feel this thing. Like God really wants me to do this. I should do that. And so what we have in this moment is this thought I need you to understand is that God is sovereign. He's working all things out. We do have free will. You think about Abraham, and God specifically told him to get up and go, and some of us are waiting for that audible, that thing to say, I want you to go here, turn left, turn right. The, the beautiful thing is when we go by faith, it does not matter where. Can I just take that pressure off of you? That where you're trying to figure out your life, what job should I get? What school should I go to? Where should I live? It does not matter. God will use you wherever you land, wherever you end up. Where you are today is where God has called you to. Like just go by faith, trusting him into the future. The third thing is we can impact it. So God has a plan for it. God reveals it to us. He speaks to us, invites us to his story, to walk with him, and then we can impact it. You can make a difference. That may seem simple. But as parents, 
We forget that. Like your children are watching everything you do. They are listening in everything you say. As parents, we are called to our highest priority of discipleship to love our kids. If anybody can make a difference in your kids' lives, it will be you. It will be me. Oh, that's hefty. Like, we don't take the, the responsibility of parentship maybe serious enough sometimes. But we got to remember as parents, we're really, just, uh, we're, we're really just kind of being stewards of human beings that God created and loves way more than we can. Like our job is not to fix them, it's to point them to Jesus as much as often of the way we live. You can make a difference in your kids, in your marriage, in, in your neighborhood, in your community, um, in the next generation. I just want to share you with share this thought with you as we if we get ready to close. What you do today is driven by your vision for tomorrow. Like if you're struggling to get motivated today, it's probably because of what you're believing about tomorrow. You sit with me just for a second. Or or if you're doing the wrong things today, it's probably because you believe the wrong thing about Tomorrow. You could have a vision for tomorrow as the American dream. Right? That's, that's the vision. I'm going to get the right job. I'm going to get the right car. I'm going to get the right house. I'm going to be in the cool crowd. I've lived that life and it is empty. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. I'm out of it. <laughs> You might have a vision for tomorrow where you got the enemy telling you you are worthless. That tomorrow I'm going to get up and nobody cares if I get up. That I'm going to get up tomorrow and I don't even have a purpose. I don't have a use. I mean, I'm just... That vision for tomorrow, what are you going to... If the enemy gets you discouraged like that, what are you doing today? <laughs> Nothing. But what you to do today is driven by your vision for tomorrow. Because, you see, Jesus said things like, bring all your burdens. Lay them on me. You can find rest here. He said things like, don't I feed the birds? Don't I clothe the lilies? Don't I love you so much more than them as, as a human being? And, and then won't I take care of you? Won't I provide for you? And we live in that vision for tomorrow, that Jesus loved us so much he died for us. And we have that vision, the truth that he's called us to, uh, uh, not just uh, to live, but to live abundant in him. To, to move from ordinary into extraordinary. And when you believe that about the future, that God's called you into a work with him and that he's going to work all things together for your good, it doesn't matter if you know you're walking into depression or a sickness or success or, or whatever you're walking into when your vision for the future is like, if God, if you whatever you want from me, I do today. I want to be with you. I just want to be with you. So we think about the next generation. We say, what are we passing on to them as families, as a church, 
as a generation? Are we passing on cynicism, negativity? Like, what are the things they're hearing in our lives and seeing in our lives? What are we passing down to them? And this has been our heart for years here. It's just like we believe God's got a purpose for the next generation. We believe the, in the Old Testament when he said his faithfulness moves from generation to generation. And so this is a picture of a bunch of kids and our, we are into the school year bash we had out here in the parking lot. I don't know how many kids that are. I know half of them maybe. See Adam up there talking to him. We had so many volunteers that night, so many volunteers that give him wins and nights. We don't know all their names. Maybe the Kim and Sarah know them all since they check them in every Wednesday night. Let me tell you, God knows every name. He knows every story. He knows every home that they're coming from. And he knows their parents' stories. He knows their siblings' stories. He knows them all, and he's calling them, and he's got purpose for them, and he's inviting them into relationship with them. And, um, and that's where I want our heart to be. I want our heart to believe there's a future for every person we meet. Because there was once a, 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 and I hadn't planned on sharing this story. I shared it earlier out of the blue, so I'll do it again. Uh, Chris, y'all know Chris. Who loves Chris? Act like you do. He's going to be watching. Who loves Chris? He's from the big city of Elkhorn, Elkhorn City. Uh, when he was, was growing up, he, uh, there was a guy that would come to Elkhorn City from Kentucky Christian University, KCU. It's up in Grayson near Ashland. That's a long way. Okay, if I'm in college and at KCU, I don't go to Elkhorn City <laughs> to teach youth group on the weekends. Like, I just don't do it. That wasn't me. I'm embarrassed by it, but I would have never done that. But if I would have, I'd have been mad about it and complained. That's how good of a heart Jared had, okay? But this guy felt called to go, and he, he went there every weekend, uh, and, and he just shared the gospel, and he loved on some kids at Elkhorn City. You know, Chris isn't that old, but I don't think the roads are the way they are now. Like, it's hard to get to Elkhorn City still. You're talking KCU to Elkhorn City is a haul. He drove every weekend, and, uh, and that guy ended up leading Chris to the Lord. He got saved and just impacted, changed his whole life. His thought about ministry and youth. And you see, I mean, we had 60 kids go, well, 40-some kids and, and, uh, and chaperones, families go this morning. And so that one guy going to Elkhorn City, who didn't know who was in the crowd. We don't know who's in this crowd right here. Like how God's going to use them five years from now, 15 years from now, 30 years from now. Like if we start believing that just the world's going to end any day. And it could. He could, just could come back. But if we live like that, we are not pouring hope and future into the next generation. Like we need to be equipping them and discipling them to serve their neighbor, to love their friends. So we don't know who's in that picture. Well, that, so that guy's going to Elkhorn. Chris gets saved um, 35 years later. Chris decides to join New Beginnings Church and uh, becomes our discipleship pastor. And we're hosting this meeting with a missions group. Uh, and, and it's been almost 20 years since Chris has talked to that, that youth pastor. And we're hosting this missions group out of Ohio here 
that this is the kind of stuff that happens between Sundays. Uh, we brought them, they came to Pikeville, we showed them our church, and we're looking at partnering with them. Uh, and we took them to Wattsburg and visited with Michael Clark and did some things down there. And we were driving back on our church bus, and the guy that was sitting beside Chris, Chris was just sharing his story of the guy that put his heart on fire for youth ministry. And uh, so he got, went to KCU, and so this guy sitting beside him said, well, what was his name? And, uh, and Chris said his name, and the guy sitting beside him said, he sits in front of me at church every Sunday in Ohio. This guy we've never met before. We're just sitting there. Chris is sharing that story. He said, let me get his number. Before we got back to Pikeville, Chris is on the phone with the guy saying, you changed my life. I just took a new role at a new church. And listen, the last six months to nine months has not been easy. That decision for him, that decision for us, we know it flips some worlds upside down. But that's what Jesus does. I can, I can promise you that the heart behind all of this is nothing but love this place and share Jesus with everybody we meet. And so Chris, I remember we got back and he went, man, I needed that. That moment of encouragement of we're just walking into the unknown. By faith, we're going into the future, trusting every step of the way and knowing that Jesus is walking with us and encouraging. Let me read you some words of Jesus to close as our band comes up. In John 14, Jesus has already washed his disciples' feet. He's getting ready to get crucified. In John 14, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Just like you and me, Thomas... Should have known. And he's like, I don't know the way. How you get there? And Jesus said some simple words. <clears throat> said them to Thomas. He's saying them to you. I am the way. Amen. The truth. And the life. God, we want nothing we want you to take the religion and self-righteousness in our life and just crumble it up and lay it in the floor we want nothing but Jesus in front of us we want to be fueled by the Holy Spirit by your strength God, we want to be drawn into your presence. God, I just pray today across this room, and I don't know the hearts of everyone in here, that the future sometimes for us is a year, it's a three-month plan, it's a five-year plan, ten-year plan maybe. But God, your future is an eternity.
This life is but a vapor. God, we want our hearts to be prepared at the time that we close our eyes, that we know we lived our life for you, that a thousand years from now we can look back and say, I remember that little speck of time. And I'm so thankful I used it for eternal things. God, for the ones that are in here that are just, they've never given their life to you. They've never given their heart. Just let them hear these words that your son Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. They can't prepare. They can't do anything except just fall before your feet in repentance and saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I tried to do it myself. I'm sorry I thought I figured it out. I'm sorry I ran from you. I'm just sorry. But I want to follow you. And we know you promise that any man that comes to you will not turn away. And we thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen.